Hey, Unnaturalists. I'm Emily. I'm Andy. And welcome back to your favorite true crime podcast, Unnatural. I'm raising the roof as we speak. You're doing such a great job. Our audience can't see me, but yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. How you doing, Emily? I am doing so good. Summer's almost here. Yes, we have had here in Minnesota probably five days of warmth. Yeah. Which I'll take it. It was my birthday this past weekend, which was super fun and exciting as far as birthdays in your 30s go. Oh, I thought you were 29 again. Sorry. You know what? Yes. You look, you look like a you wouldn't be a day over 29, I got to say. An old woman told me that she thought I was 22 and I was like, yes. Thank you. I got carded a few days ago, so I was happy about that. I know. I get excited when I get carded. I used to get annoyed. Not so much anymore. I like it. I like it a lot. It is what it is. So what do we got going on today? If you remember a couple weeks ago when Andy covered the case of Sophie George, I was doing a little bit of extra research and looking at pictures. You were doing some sleuthing. I was doing some sleuthing, and I stumbled upon an equally disturbing case. Hmm. Maybe even more disturbing. Probably more disturbing. Yeah, because remember, she didn't actually end up like killing anyone. So Yes, and unfortunately, that is not the case today. But there was some shocking similarities with her murderous to-do list. Hmm. Interesting. I just had a lisp. With her murderous to-do list. In November 2016, a lovely couple from Knoxville, Tennessee were preparing for their upcoming retirements, but unfortunately, they would never be able to retire because they were brutally, brutally murdered by their own son. This is the story of Joel and Lisa Guy. were married in 1985 and lived in Louisiana before relocating to the Knoxville area of Tennessee. Now, Joel was originally from Tennessee. He was from the Sagoinsville area. I think that's how you pronounce it. I wrote down like a phonetic key and I had to look up on the internet how you pronounced it. And that is what I'm going with because that's what the internet said to me. But if you are from Tennessee and you know different, tell us. But I digress. Joel was married prior to getting married to Lisa to a woman named Patricia. And together they had three daughters, Michelle, Angie, and Shandice. Mm. I think that's how you pronounce her name, too. I'm not sure. Um, Shandice, maybe? Shandice, Shandice. It's C-H-A-N-D-I-S-E. It it is always interesting when you see a couple that has a, a few names that are seemingly normal, quote unquote, 
whatever that is. Mm-hmm. And then then they give one of their kids a very unique name that's very yeah. different than a, than the other two names. And it, it makes you wonder, did they just decide to spice it up a, a bit by, by the time they got down to the third one? I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. Um, but Joel and Lisa were married for a couple of years before they had their son together, and they named him Joel Michael Guy Jr. Hmm. Um, most people called him Joel Michael, but for the purpose of this podcast and to reduce on confusion as much as possible, Joel Sr. will be Joel Sr. and Joel Jr. will be Joel Jr. Gotcha. So Joel Sr. worked as a pipeline engineering designer, so he was super freaking smart. And Lisa worked in the HR department for a different engineering company called Jacobs Engineering. Now, even though they were a blended family, judging by what I read and what um, the daughters, Joel's daughters, Joel Sr.'s daughters said following these tragic events, they got along really well. And his daughters really loved and bonded with Lisa. I'm not 100% sure what happened to Patricia. I don't know if they had like full custody of the girls or like what the custody situation here was. Um, But by all accounts, Lisa treated the girls as her own. And Michelle in particular was very close with Lisa and said that when she eventually had children, she wanted to be a mom just like Lisa. And when Michelle eventually got engaged, her engagement ring was almost an exact replica of Lisa's. So she really was trying to piggyback off what Lisa had already done. Yeah, absolutely. So, and also Lisa was just the complete opposite of, you know, the evil stepmothers that we hear about oftentimes <laughs> in fairy tales, you know, in, or real, in life. real life. So she was just great. And Joel Jr. was born March 13th, 1988. Growing up, he was really super shy. He didn't have a whole lot of friends. He really had like one good friend named Michael, and that seemed to be enough for Joel Jr. He really didn't go out of his way to make other friends. He hung out with Michael pretty much exclusively. And I think eventually they did end up being roommates Mm. for a while. And sometimes that's all you need is one really good friend. Yeah, for sure quality not quantity Mm -hmm. but we will see here soon that joel jr was not a quality friend Uh oh did michael get got no okay good as far as i know michael is doing great okay uh but joel jr for the most part really just kept to himself he hung out in his room a lot listening to music or reading or playing video games Maybe, I don't know, what reclusive boys did in the 90s and early 2000s. Sounds a lot like what I was doing. (laughs) I'm just saying. Yeah. And the girls, and when I say the girls, I'm referring to his sisters. Right. Um, The girls recalled that even during family gatherings and dinners and holidays, Joel Jr. mostly stuck to himself into his room and didn't participate or... Like when he was older, he just didn't come Mm. to any of the family functions. Really? Yeah. 
So he and wasn't really a part of the rest of the crowd. Sounds very no. introverted. Very yeah. introverted. Not that there's anything wrong with introverts. Introverts I feel like unite. You know, most of the introverts I know, and I consider myself to be a little bit introverted. I'm an introvert. But I'm still, I'm still really close with my family. Yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah, just because you're introverted doesn't. But usually, the people that are withdrawn from their family, they are definitely introverts. Yeah, definitely a recluse. Definitely a little bit of a hermit. Um, he did graduate high school in 2006, and he moved nine hours away, give or take, to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, mm. and attended college at... Um, LSU? At LSU. Yes. Very mm. good. Good job. Thank you. Thank you. I couldn't find exactly what he was studying, but in one source I read, it said that he aspired to be a plastic surgeon. And he did really well in high school. He got really good grades. He attended some sort of like special program for math. Whew, that's way better than what I would have done. I hated math. Yes, Ugh. same. I am not a math person. Ooh. Well, and both of his parents work in engineering, so they're obviously very intelligent people. It's in his blood. Yeah. Yeah. But... A lot of people said that when he got to college, he kind of seemed like he got lost and didn't really know where he was going because he was in and out of college for nine years. And Whoa. he did do a semester at a college in D.C., but then he withdrew and then went to LSU. Hmm. So he's in and out of college for nine years. And as far as I could tell, he never received a degree. Wow. He did officially drop out and withdraw from LSU in 2015. And I think you are about to say something like this because it's what's next in my notes is college is expensive as fuck, yeah, right? Especially in this country. Yeah. If you're from another country, you might not realize this, but uh, Americans, holy shit, we spend a lot of money on our education and it's not free like it is for a lot of you. Right. So how did he afford on and off, nine years in college with nothing to show for it. He had a little bit of student loans, mm -hmm. but for the most part, his parents paid for everything. Really? This guy has never worked a day in his life other than a very, very brief internship, like his first or second year at LSU. Which he had to do that, so. Right. And he had a really nice apartment which his parents paid for. They paid for all of his utilities. They paid for his food. They paid They paid for everything. I've known a few people like that. And it doesn't usually work out for them very well. No, because eventually it's going to stop. Yeah. The gravy train ends at some point and you got to figure out how to do things on your own. And here's the thing that just kills me. Lisa... Worked as the accountant for the HR for the engineering company. The only reason why she worked was to give all, all of her money to her son. Wow. All of it. So that, that way, everything else just went to all the other extravagances that they had. Yeah. So like Joel Sr. paid all of their bills and, you know, all of his money is what went to him and his wife and, you know, their daughters, just like right. life. Yeah. And 
Joel Sr. did give his son plenty of money, too. But after a while, he was like, nah, you're a grown ass man. I'm not funding your lifestyle anymore. So he did eventually stop giving him money. But Lisa, look, you've been in school for nine years, kid. Come on. Yeah. I mean, Lisa continued funding everything. And then um, just before Thanksgiving in 2016, Joel Sr. ended up getting laid off. Mm. Now, mind you. It's not you, good for Joel Jr. He, no. And he's 61 at this point. Oh, yeah. So he's like, do I really search for another job and work for another two to five years? Right. Tops? Or just take that early retirement. Yeah. So he and Lisa started discussing retirement for both of them. And Lisa is like 55 at this point in time. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, he's kind of saying, hey, look, our son is 28 years old. I'm ready to retire. You could retire. Let's just go live our lives. Let's sell the house. Let's move back to Sigoinsville because they live in um, Knoxville right now. Okay. And they're like, yeah, let's do it. So they start to go through their finances, their budgeting, and they figure that they could, in fact, comfortably retire with what they had, but they would definitely have to stop funding Joel Jr.'s life. Which it's not not in the budget anymore. Yeah. He's 28. Yeah. It's time. Mm-hmm. So they start discussing their retirement plans with the girls and some of their closest friends and family. And like I said, they had a um, Joel Sr.'s mom had recently passed away. So they were going to go back to Sigoinsville. And um, Joel Sr.'s siblings were really excited about this, that they had planned on moving back up there. I'm not sure what the distance between the two cities is, but I would imagine it's pretty significant because it sounds like they didn't spend a whole lot of time together. And that's kind of why they were super excited. Yeah. But anyway, they had planned on having a discussion with Joel Jr. as well, but they wanted to wait until after the holidays. Well, and they probably knew that it was maybe going to cause some friction. Oh, for because, sure. Because again, this kid has never worked for himself before. So yeah, and he's nearly 30 years old. So yeah. obviously, you I mean, I would assume they're expecting backlash. But if you know this case and if you don't, you will soon find out that they must have had this conversation sooner than initially planned or somehow Joel Jr. figured it out because um, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving 2016. Oh, my God. Joel Jr. actually shows up to Thanksgiving and seems really excited to spend time with the family Wait, 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 wait. You had told me that he's a recluse. He's a hermit. He doesn't like family gatherings. Now, all of a sudden, he's like, hey, everyone, want me to carve the turkey? Yeah. So, complete 180 for him, right? <laughs> and everyone is like, um, okay. Uncle Bob, have you lost weight? Oh, my God. Looking good, buddy. Well, yeah. And like, on Thanksgiving that year, so his parents kept his bedroom the same as it had always been they didn't change 
anything from what I understand. That's weird when parents do that. As soon as I moved out, my parents fucking got everything out of my bedroom. <laughs> yeah, same. My mom <laughs> They turned, didn't waste any time. My mom turned my bedroom at our house into like her crafting room. Yeah. As I would do. I mean, more power to you, right? Yeah. But anyway, so on Thanksgiving, Joel Jr. brought down a bunch of his old childhood toys and Beanie Babies and started giving them out to his nephews. And Mm. his one sister was like, I didn't think he even knew my kids' names. Like, that is how distanced from his family he was that she thought. Wow. He didn't probably thought he was on drugs or something. (laughs) Yeah. So anyhow, they do the thing for Thanksgiving. They have dinner. Everything is great. And the three girls and their husbands and kids head home. But Joel Jr. had planned to stay for one more night before making the long drive back to his apartment in Baton Rouge. So that Monday rolls around and this is where things get weird because Lisa was known as someone who always showed up for work and if she wasn't coming or if she was going to be late, she called. Mm -hmm. Now, Lisa's boss, Jennifer, noticed that she was late and hadn't called so she was like, what the fuck? But she let about 15 minutes go by and then um, she decided to call Lisa to see what was up, as bosses do when you're late and don't tell anybody. Mm -hmm. But she calls Lisa. There's no answer. She sends her a couple text messages. No answer. So then she's like, this is really weird. So she calls Joe Sr. No answer. Uh Uh-oh. So red flags, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And another thing that really kind of set Jennifer off, knowing that something wasn't right, was that a bunch of people from the office were supposed to go out to lunch with Lisa that day to celebrate her upcoming retirement. Yeah. And all of a sudden, she just doesn't show up. That doesn't sound right. Yeah. Lisa's always on time. She's not going to miss her retirement lunch with all of her coworkers. Right. So her boss is getting really worried, and she decides to call the police to do a welfare check. The police agree. They head out to the house. They take a look around. Everything seems fine. So they left and called Jennifer and was like, hey, we didn't really see anything. Out of the ordinary. seemed off. Yeah. So they left. And Jennifer keeps trying to get a hold of Lisa and Joel Sr. to no avail. So after a while, she calls the police back and is like, hey, can you go back out there again? Because something is just not right. This is not like Lisa. This is not like her husband. Something is just not right here. Sure. Meanwhile, the girls were trying to get a hold of them and weren't hearing back. So they're also getting a little worried. Their daughters? Their girls as in their daughters? Okay. And so Officer Steve Ballard was one of the officers who went out on the initial welfare check. And he went out there the second time, but he was also accompanied by Detective Jeremy McCord. So they go back out there. They're walking around. They're taking a look. You know, they're kind of doing a little bit more of a due diligence than they did. Yeah. 
the first time, you know, because this is the second call. Mm -hmm. And Detective McCord said that as soon as he pulled up to the house, something in his gut told him something was very, very wrong here. Now, nothing on the outside really looked amiss, but always trust your gut. Yeah. Right. That's one of the first rules in law enforcement, I think. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Now, both Lisa and Joel Sr.'s cars were in the driveway. And when they walked up to the front door, they noticed that the doorknob didn't match like the deadbolt lock Hmm. above it, which they thought was weird. And then another thing was there's a they're selling their house. So there's a for sale sign in the yard and there wasn't a real estate lock on the door like you often oh, see. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So Jeremy calls the real estate agent to see if maybe the the real estate lock was somewhere else or if you know, the real estate agent had a key so they could get inside. And the agent was like, no, no, there definitely should have been a lock there. Mm. So they're like, okay. So the lock was removed. Yes. And like I said, the doorknob on the bottom was different from the deadbolt. And there was scratches around mm. the doorknob. So then they go to the backside of the house. They kind of had to hop over a gate to get back there and they realized that the doorknob from the back door had been removed and that was what was installed on the front door because the back door where the doorknob should be there was a hole huh that's not supposed to happen that's not supposed to be like that something's amiss right so they're like looking through the hole and jeremy said he could feel heat coming out and a weird smell, like a chemically smell. And he could also see grocery bags up by kind of the front door that had, like he could clearly see some perishable items. Like I think he said there was bacon and sausage and ice cream. So something that you definitely wouldn't leave out. And there's heat just emanating through there. Yeah. Yes. So, one of the officers, one of the cars in the driveway was open, and it had a garage door opener. Huh. So, they were able to open the garage door, and then they could get in the house that way. Okay. So, when they came in, they were kind of close to the back door, and they see that there is a big pot with boiling, like boiling on the stove, because the stove's on. The oven is on. And Detective Ballard said that once they were in the house, the smell of chemicals was so intense that his skin started to tingle. Chemicals. So what the hell is this junior kid doing? Like, is he... My guess is is he's trying to dispose of the bodies or something, but I guess you'll get there. We will get there. So the oven is on. The stove is on. There are space heaters around that are plugged in and on and the thermostat downstairs was also set to 90 degrees oh my god so it is just hot and humid in this house and then they also noticed on the kitchen table was lisa and joel senior's wallet 
Lisa's purse, a sledgehammer, pliers, a gun, and then Lisa's jacket was kind of just casually draped over the chair. Not looking good for our guy, Joel Jr. No. So then they start to head upstairs and it's even hotter because heat rises, right? Yeah. And as they're going up the stairs, they start to hear a dog barking. And eventually, they found this poor thing locked in the laundry room. Oh, my God. I can't imagine that dog was probably about to die of heat stroke. Yes. But before they discovered the dog, there was blood spatter on the walls, on the carpet, on the landing upstairs. There was a pile of women's clothes that appeared to have been cut up because there was a pair of scissors. And then further down the hallway... They made the first of several very gruesome discoveries. Do you want to guess what they found? I'm guessing they found maybe limbs, body parts, something like that. They found the severed hands of what appeared to be an adult male on the floor. Right. I hate being right about this kind of stuff. Yeah. That tracks, though. That tracks. Okay. So the severed hand. Do you think he was trying to do like, God, what was that killer that we covered where she tried to boil the hands away? Remember that? The Thanksgiving butcher or something? Like, what was he up to here? Wait for it. Okay. (laughs) So now at this point, Jeremy and Officer Ballard are like, okay, we need backup. What the fuck? So they call in the cavalry. And when backup arrived, they went back into the house and found two, like, 40 or 45-gallon plastic totes in the bathroom full of dismembered body parts and some sort of liquid. They also found sewer line cleaner, baking soda liquid fire brand drain cleaner, hydrochloric acid, drain opener, lye, hydrogen peroxide, bleach, a bleach sprayer. So now they see there's all these chemicals, right? And the air just smells. Oh, I can't imagine how much it's reeking. Even if there's like, gosh, even if I like pour ammonia or something, I got to wear a mask or something like That must have been pungent. It sounds like he was trying to use every chemical known to man to do something to get rid of this flesh. So they had to call in a hazmat team. And obviously, it's officially a crime scene. There's plenty of people around processing. The yellow tape is up. And wouldn't you know it, 
Joel Guy Jr. drives by, sees the commotion, turns around, heads straight back home yeah. to Baton Rouge. I bet he did. I bet he fucking did. Sweating the whole way there, too. This shit stain of a human. Good description. Paid $10,000 towards his rent. He paid off a chunk of debt that he had for school. And he paid up all of his utilities for months in advance with his mother's money. His mother, who he just murdered days earlier. Absolutely not giving a shit about all of the help they had given him financially throughout the years whatsoever. Not at all. Just He was just worried that, the again, the gravy train was be- about to be shut off, so he wanted to do something about it, it sounds like. Right. So it takes a while for this discovery to happen, but I want to know if you've been wondering how this ties back to your case. Andy. Yeah, I, I am wondering. Yes. Well, I am here to tell you that the police eventually found a black notebook in a backpack in like the spare bedroom that was also kind of like a gym room mm-hmm. with about five pages of notes where Joel Jr. had specifically detailed his plans to murder his parents and make off with as much of their money as he could. And as we saw in Sophie George's case, that is about as open and shut as you can get. That is about as incriminating as it can be when you write your entire plan out. I mean, I feel like being a criminal 101 is, yeah, great. Have a plan for committing your crime, but don't write it down in a notebook. (laughs) Don't write it down. Keep it in your head. You know? Yeah. So anyway, in this notebook, he detailed how he wanted to make this look like a murder-suicide where his father had killed his mother and eventually himself. And but how why did he, he dismember all the body parts? I don't I don't really know. <laughs> Maybe but he changed his plan. I well, I th- I think that's how it started and then as he kept going on, because I'll tell you... He was improvising. Well, I'll tell you in a little bit some of what was in this notebook. Okay. But kind of right away where he talks about it, um, he said that he was going to throw something down the garbage disposal, effectively breaking it, and then getting his dad under the sink to fix it where he would attack him and kill him. And then he would sneak up on his mom and kill her. But he was going to use his... I don't know. He was going to somehow get his dad's DNA under her fingernails to make it look like there was some sort of struggle between them. It's like in his notes, it said, quote, kill him with the knife. Clean up mess from him before she gets home. Kill her with the knife. Place her in shower. Turn on hot water and point at her to get rid of forensics. So he also wrote in there how to keep his own DNA off of things. And like in the one bedroom, there was plastic wrap laid out. And in his notes, he said, okay, don't touch this. Clean up your fingerprints. Use gloves. 
Even though, like, your DNA is all over the all house, over. my guy. All over the place. And I, I know you're, I know you're going to get there eventually, and I don't want to spoil it, but I am absolutely just sitting here wondering, is this guy going to plead not guilty? <laughs> I know we'll get there, but that's what I'm thinking right now, because... <laughs> We'll if he there. does, if he does, that's going to be fucking hilarious. Continue. We'll get there because that is another super fun part of this story. Okay. Okay. But before we get there, I right now am just going to insert a casual trigger warning because I'm going to get into exactly what he wrote and what he did to his parents. So if you don't want to hear that, skip ahead a couple minutes. Sure. So, Joel Guy Jr.'s main goal here was to get his hands on a $500,000 life insurance policy because his parents had threatened to cut off his allowance. Right. And it's just funny how you're saying allowance for a 28 yeah. year old, <laughs> but Whatever. that's what it was. Yeah. So some notable things that he wrote down were douse killing rooms, kitchen with bleach, Flush chunks down toilet, not garbage disposal. Don't have to get rid of body if no forensic evidence. Turn heaters up to 90 degrees to melt fingerprints and dry everything. Uh, is that even true that that does that? I don't I don't know if that's accurate. But yeah, continue. I don't I don't know if turning it up would get rid of Everything. fingerprints yeah especially it's, if he's referring to his which i think so but i d- right i don't, I don't know think it does. yeah if you're if you're into forensics let us know yeah he said that he planned on placing his father's body in the plastic bin and using it to haul him to the shower alongside lisa's body to wash away the evidence hmm. he said Quote, cut off his arm and plant flesh under her fingernails. Use sodium hydroxide to destroy his soft tissue and soften bones for transport. Based once every hour to accelerate. So he was like researching what types of chemicals and things to use and how how to dissolve and disintegrate and decompose his parents' bodies as quickly as possible. Yeah, and it's probably all on his Google records, too. Yeah. He also tried to create an alibi for himself by saying, set her phone to send me a text message late Sunday to prove that I was in Baton Rouge and she was alive. He also had a note kind of detailing um, different amounts of money that he could get from accounts, the life insurance policies, because Joel Guy Jr. was a beneficiary after his father. So mm-hmm. he knew that he had to get rid of his father in order for him to get the payout. Right. He kind of had this plan, like I mentioned earlier, of, you know, he was going to get his dad under the sink, but that is not exactly how things went down doesn't sound like it (laughs) no lisa did end up going to the store to get some dog food and other things and they did find surveillance footage of her i believe she was at a walmart 
where she was just casually leaving the store and heading home to her husband and son, having absolutely no idea what is actually waiting for her there. Because why would you think that? Right. Meanwhile, back at the house, Joel Sr. went upstairs, presumably to work out in that spare bedroom that I had mentioned that had some gym equipment in there. And that's where Joel Jr. attacked him, stabbing him at least 40 times all over his body. He had punctured kidneys, lungs, and his liver, and also several broken ribs and Just tons of defensive injuries on his arms, on his hands. And a piece of the knife was even lodged into the muscle in his shoulder. Hmm. For as carefully as he planned out what he was going to do, what a fucking idiot to stab him 40 times. Yeah. Like that. And also, can you imagine what what is going through as, as a father? What's going through his father's mind as his son comes in lunging at him, knowing probably having these flashes before his eyes as he's struggling with him. Where did I go wrong? Maybe this is where it went wrong. You know, I mean, I just his last moments must have just been awful. Yeah. Then Lisa arrives home and she was attacked pretty much immediately and she was stabbed more than 30 times Um, some of the wounds were seven inches deep and she was stabbed in her heart lungs kidneys her back and and again again but if he was going to do a murder suicide how does that work the husband kills kills the wife stabs her 30 times then he stabs himself 40 times like i don't get it well, he uh, he planned on dissolving their bodies as much as possible and then burning the house down. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So now that both of his parents are dead, he begins dismembering them and disposing of their bodies just as he had planned in his notebook. Um Some of the body parts in those big bins in the bathroom had decomposed down to bone. Yuck. So, and then you remember the pot on the stove? Yeah, the big cauldron, yeah. Yeah. Um, Lisa had been decapitated and her head was in the pot with boiling chemicals and water. Jesus, the mother that gave him everything. Yeah. He also had a couple side notes in his notebook about killing his sisters to get more money. But luckily, he was never able to do that. He also wrote a really weird note to Lisa. I think that he was going to try and pass off as a suicide note because I don't know if he was going to try and make it look like he was in the house too or... Or what? I don't yeah. I don't know. But anyway, so you know, they the the backpack and the notebook was like one of the last things that they did end up finding because they are focused a little bit more on collecting the evidence, getting the body parts out of here and preserving as much as they could for any potential forensic evidence. Yeah. But they did 
quite quickly figure out that the notebook belonged to Joel Jr. because I believe his name was written in it somewhere. <laughs> this journal is the property of soon-to-be killer Joel Jr. Guy. Yeah. Joel Guy yeah. Jr. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. With like little so, hearts around it. Yeah. So they start doing... You know, their investigation, they did find him on surveillance cameras at a couple of different stores buying all of the items, like the totes, yeah. the cleaning supplies, gloves, plastic wrap, all of that. And this guy who thought he was slick went through the self-checkout to like avoid suspicion from cashiers. I don't know. <laughs> Dumb fuck. You're on camera. Nobody cares. Yeah. Like, have you ever looked at yourself in the self-checkout cameras? <laughs> like, those things leave nothing to the imagination. I try not to because every time I do, I feel like 10 times worse about myself. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God. Th that and when I'm in the movie theater, like all those fluorescent lights in the bathroom in the movie theater, they look terrible. Especially yeah. if you just ate popcorn. Looks like you got grease all over your face. Maybe that's just me. <laughs> I think that's just you because it's okay. certainly not me. <laughs> Anyhow, so the police are like, all right, prime suspect number one. We just got to get him. But mind you, he's back in Baton Rouge. And they did also find out that he went to a student hospital type thing to have cuts on his hands tended to. Because clearly when he attacked his father, it didn't really go as planned. His father put up a really good fight. And he got several injuries on his hand and apparently sliced open his thumb. Good. Pretty good. And he needed stitches. Yeah. And... Um, police also learned that he had returned to the scene of the crime and then went right back home before he could finish his plan of cleaning up the carnage that he left behind at his parents' house and, like, setting the place on fire. So... What a dumbass. Like, okay, first of all, a homicidal maniac, but if you're going to do that horrible deed, you probably should just finish everything that you're doing right away. Yeah. Well, because I think... Because I think he went home to try and do the text message thing to prove he was there and his mom was still alive. Because he couldn't finish everything in time or something? I don't know. What a weird plan. Like, he, there's so many holes in this plan to begin with. I mean, yeah. he's just irrational and crazy. Yeah. Well, because he had planned to come back that Monday, like he did, to finish everything like during the middle of the day because he figured that Nobody would be home and everybody would be at work. Like, that was part of his plan in his notebook as well. But it's like, people stay home. Do you know that everybody in the neighborhood goes to work every day? Are you really so dumb not to think that people aren't going to be asking where your mom is when she doesn't show up to Dip work? Shit. For somebody who thought that he had everything figured out, he didn't have shit figured out. But it shows because... Sounds like he was a narcissist anyway, and those type of people don't think about things like that because they're not empathetic. I mean, if he would have, and I hate to say this, but if he would have simplified his plan, he may have been able to get away with Maybe, it. Maybe, but he was already 
<clears throat> looking sus to the family the day before the days leading up to it, they probably would have said to investigators, you know, he was acting a little shady before all of this went well, yeah, down. I'm sure, yeah. but I mean, they like, might not have had any, any evidence tied to him. Yeah, you're right. Right. But I think, well, and, you know, if you remember that I mentioned earlier, he wanted to be a plastic surgeon. So I think he really just want he wanted to do all of this, like some sort of weird science experiment. Yeah, some weird fetish that he had. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so they get a warrant for his arrest and detectives down in Baton Rouge head over to his apartment and he is arrested getting about to get into his 2006 Hyundai Sonata, which I literally had the same car before my current car. And I hate that he and I drove the same car. Right. But anyway, November 29th, 2016, he's arrested. And in his car, police find a meat grinder, like a KitchenAid blender, and a gas can in the trunk. And guess what he mentions in his notebook? Getting a meat grinder, grinding up the meat of his parents' bodies to help dispose of it. In his apartment, they found a 12-gauge shotgun and several receipts for the shit that he bought for his to carry out his plan of murdering, dismembering, dissolving, yeah. and disposing of as, his parents. As if they needed more evidence. <laughs> right. Well, and here's a, that's like, that's the thing because when they eventually went to trial, the, the things that they found in his car and in his apartment were inadmissible because they didn't have the proper search warrant. Oh, shit. But not like it mattered because they had plenty, plenty to convict him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Back in Tennessee. Right. And to answer the question that you had proposed earlier. I'm dying to know. He pleads not guilty. Oh, my God. I can't, I can't fucking believe it. I can't he, believe it. Wait, wait for it. Because this is just you're going to shit your pants. Because he also filed a request to represent himself and then filed a motion that should he be found guilty to be given the death penalty. Wow. But the prosecution... Just keep on coming here. Yeah, because it gets better. The prosecution was not seeking the death penalty. So he wrote a note to the judge saying, Hey, I give you permission to execute me if this goes awry. Like He's a fucking walnut. The judge, first of all, doesn't isn't involved in that. It's the prosecution and the jury. Yeah. And then... This guy has the audacity to ask about the insurance payout. (laughs) Like if he was still going to get it or be entitled to it. And everybody's like, are you kidding? You fucking idiot. That's over. You killed them. Well, technically he hasn't been convicted yet. So in theory, he could have gotten it. However, there's like laws because I think there's laws because he was a suspect. Like right. he has to be found either guilty or I'm innocent sure before they had their bases covered. Yeah. yeah, for sure, for sure. So like he's definitely not entitled to this, obviously. But the insurance company was like, we're not going to decide where the money goes, so we're going to let the court decide where that goes. Right. Which I think it did end up getting split amongst the other the sisters. Yeah. 
I don't know if his request to represent himself was denied or if he changed his mind because he did end up having lawyers represent him. And this fucking guy was seen laughing and smiling while the medical examiner testified that this was one of the most difficult autopsies that she had ever performed. And she testified that, trigger warning again, Joel Sr.'s arms were removed at the shoulders, his legs at the hip joints, and his hands at the wrist. And his skull was also so damaged that she couldn't be sure if it was from chemicals or blunt force trauma. Wow. She also detailed and explained all of Lisa's injuries and how she was dismembered at all of her major joints as well. Mm -hmm. And she also said that You know how I mentioned that Joel Sr. was stabbed at least 40 times and Lisa at least 30? Yeah. Well, the medical examiner said that it had to be an approximate at least because the bodies were so badly decomposed, it was impossible to get an accurate count. So it could have been more. Those were just the wounds that they could confirm. Yeah. And... A forensic analyst, I think, also talked about how much work it would have actually been to dismember bodies at the joints like that, like without surgical tools. And it would have been extremely difficult and extremely time consuming. And these are his parents. Yeah. Jesus. I can't even imagine how somebody could do that. Yeah. And they also believe That he started planning this in the beginning of November. Mm. So I think, and I don't know, there's still speculation on if his parents actually had this conversation about cutting him off with him. Or I wonder if he realized that his dad got laid off and they were moving. Yeah. And his mom was retiring He probably pieced it together himself. Well, because he wouldn't have been able to get her. There there was some sort of loophole with it was either the insurance or like 401k money or something. But there was some amount of money that he would not have been able to get had she already been retired. Going back to the trial, his lawyers are trying to argue that there's still room for reasonable doubt in this case. (laughs) Really? Yeah, where? How much room? A millimeter? Where? Because they argued that his behavior up until then, he was described as happy and personable. Like, like that matters? Yeah. Ted Bundy. Right, exactly. Perfect example. Was described as happy and outgoing and likable. Well, and he was happy. Look at what he he did. He was happy and likable and outgoing because he was trying to put on a persona yeah. to ingrain in everybody else's mind that he was, you know, Mr. Happy-Go-Lucky. Yeah. Plus, they also was, had... Oh, sorry. He was probably happy that he was about to kill his parents. Yeah, and he was about to get a sounds. shit ton of money. Yeah. Jesus. But um, and his his lawyers argued some other bullshit things. But that was the thing that just stuck out to me is really funny that I wanted to mention. Mm -hmm. So anyway, he was charged with two counts of abuse of a corpse, two counts of felony murder and two counts of first degree murder. And 
after the four-day trial and a very brief jury deliberation, Joel Michael Guy Jr. was found guilty and sentenced to life in prison. I imagine it was a very brief jury deliberation. <laughs> yeah, like, I didn't see anywhere mentioned like exactly how long they deliberated. Well, I would assume just to do their quote-unquote due diligence, they sat in there for an hour, maybe two. Right, guys, I'm going to take a smoke break and let's go back in there. Yeah, but then... Joel Guy Jr. He doesn't want to spend his life in prison with another person, so he requests a stay in solitary confinement. And he causes a scene and threatens to hurt his cellmate and pry his eyeballs out with his fingers. And he wrote this letter to like the warden or the police or like a judge or something. I don't remember who it was sent to. Sure. But he was like, this guy doesn't deserve to be blind, but please, I'm going to act on these fantasies if you don't stop me. You have to put me in solitary. Fuck right off. Anyway, that didn't happen. As far as I know, he didn't pluck the guy's eyeballs out. Right. And he remains in prison right now, where he will be forever. Serving consecutive sentences for all of those charges. Because that letter did do that for him. They got his his sentences to be consecutive instead of congruent. Yeah. Not like it matters because he's going to be in prison until he dies anyway. But it was just that little bit of extra icing on the cake. Like, you are never right. getting out. Ever, ever, ever. And ever. what's most important, Emily, is that's the first time the word congruent has ever been used on this podcast. But hopefully not the last. You're welcome. <laughs> Thus concludes the case of the Guy family murders. Oh, that was a rough one to get through. I mean, very well done, but rough in the sense that you just can't imagine somebody doing that, let alone to anybody else, but especially a family member. Yeah. You know. And I will and you guys, you have to see what this guy looks like because he looks like an absolute bridge troll. Okay, I'm Googling him right now. Yeah. And if you don't want to Google him and want like easy access to his rat face, I will be sharing photos on our social media. You can find us on Twitter on Natural the Pod. Instagram, Unnatural the Podcast. We have a Facebook page, Unnatural, a true crime podcast. You can send us a Gmail, unnaturalthepodcast at gmail.com. Also consider signing up for our Patreon page where you will get early access to ad-free episodes, bonus content, and much more. You can find us there at patreon.com slash unnaturalthepod. Anyway, be sure to rate to subscribe <laughs> be sure to rate subscribe follow share us with your friends we will talk to you next week and in the meantime make good choices and don't get got Yeah.
Andy is about to have a conniption looking at pictures of this guy, which is super funny. I don't know why he reminds me of uh, who's that guy in the Harry Potter movies? Wormtail, the yes. one that he reminds me of Wormtail, the one that deceives Harry Harry's parents and Sirius yeah. Black and yeah. Holy shit, he's creepy looking. I know. Somebody take a wand and say expecto to patronum to him or something. Isn't that one of the spells? Yeah, Avadakadabra is the one that kills you. Yeah, uh, what's what's the torture one? I want to torture him first. Crucio. Yes, 